Hi, in this episode of IB Matters, we talk to Bavia Peru about the IB approach to teaching and learning science. Bavia has experience teaching in both the diploma program and the middle years program, so she has an excellent perspective for this discussion. We talk about the structure and requirements of a couple of DP science courses, specifically biology and ESS, but we also get into the philosophy of the IB approach and how the skill building seen in the MYP leads to success later on in the DP. Bavia has generously shared a number of teacher resources and examples, which you can find in our podcast notes as well. Welcome to IB Matters, a podcast for those who currently teach, lead, attend, or are interested in international baccalaureate IB schools. Hi, folks. Welcome back to IB Matters. And today I have a special guest in the sciences or from the sciences. And our guest today from India is uh, Bhavya Prabhu. And uh, she is a very experienced educator and uh, has a strong resume in the sciences. And uh, we're going to talk about IB science from the diploma program and even working backwards into the middle years. So I want to welcome you to the podcast, Bhavya. Um, Say hi to folks. Why don't you tell them a little bit about yourself? Hi, folks. This is Bhavya Prabhu from India. I have been into IB for more than a decade. I have been teaching uh, IBDP sciences, especially biology and ESS. And I have been teaching MYP biology. And my specialization has been into ETLs. So I love the way IB looks into approaches to teaching, especially with the differentiation and inquiry-based learning. So let's go ahead. Yeah. 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 So what is your current role? What do you do at your school or or what are you teaching like right now? Yeah. uh, At my school in Ebenezer International School, Bangalore, I presently teach IBDP, ESS and biology for grades 11 and 12. Mm -hmm. And I have been working on ETLs with them too like alignment and all that. Yeah, that is okay. my current role. Yeah. So you're working on the approaches to learning. Are you a coordinator for your school then in approaches to learning? Yeah, we have been given assigned as an charge or leader there for approaches to learning. Yeah. Okay, sure. So uh, folks are familiar with uh, biology, of course, um, but you use the term ESS. Do you want to talk a little bit about what that course is just uh, in an overview? Yeah, it's uh, the name of ESS is Environmental Systems and Societies. So it gives you a background about environmental sciences. Like it helps you to understand from environmental point of view, like how these pollutions are taking place in the real world and what are the strategies or solutions, how the different countries are trying to tackle this problem in different way. And to be very honest, this this course has taken a lot of, uh, you know, uh, what do I say? It's like it has been gained its popularity over years. Like from the past few years, we can see this course has taken a lot of popularity because of the domains it is trying to open in the careers, especially with the environmental and sus- sustainability aspect in terms of careers where we can see students who are doing MBA with sustainability. And you can see students who are going for a sustainable architecture you know, environment-friendly needs, environment-friendly objects there, the basic things which are more into environment-friendly, where they can try to reduce the impact what we are creating on the environment. So that's what I feel like, you know, being an ESS teacher, I try to implement these uh, skills or these things into my students so that they actually learn how to actually be, you know, more an ecocentric person rather than being an anthropocentric person there, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think we, in fact, just a few podcasts ago, we did a one focused on ESS and field trips to go with it, but ESS I'm seeing 
just from my viewpoint here in Minnesota, where I'm located, but also other guests I've had, I keep hearing ESS as one of the options, uh, environmental systems and societies. And also maybe, do you want to tell people a little bit about how it's interdisciplinary or accounts for diploma program in a couple different areas? Yeah, like if you look at ESS, it is actually an SL subject. It is offered by IP as an SL subject where, you know, 150 hours of teaching is mandatory. And I have students who take ESS because they don't like sciences. Mm -hmm. That is one reason why students go for ESS. And the other things like ESS, as you said, it's an interdisciplinary subject and it's offered in group three and group four both. Mm-hmm. Right. So the students who are not convenient with uh, humanities in group three, they try to go for ESS and the students who are not comfortable with sciences in group four, they go for ESS. Right. And when you look at ESS, you have an uh, uh, interdisciplinary of various subjects like economics and mm-hmm. you have some aspects from uh, uh, humanities like economics. And then you have some aspects of chemistry, biology. Mm-hmm. You know, so it is like mostly an interdisciplinary subject with, you know, a little bit knowledge from all these disciplines. Mm-hmm. So that is how you find solutions and strategies. Right. So yeah. that is how it helps the students actually to develop in a broader way and apply what they learned in their real life situations. Rather than they're just they are learning what they are understanding, they can actually implement what they are learning in their real life scenarios. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and it's it's a real window into the whole philosophy of sciences and teaching sciences and and actually the the social sciences as well, the way IB approaches education, because the fact that it's even offered um is is you know really key to to what IB is about, the inter, interdisciplinarity, the uh the connecting to the real world. Uh, giving students choice. I mean, the fact that you just described it, students that feel stronger in one area or the other, take it from both perspectives. They took it if they if they want to kind of ease their science uh, effort a little bit or, or their science uh, work a little bit, or, you know, if they're feeling that they're not as comfortable in humanities, that it serves those yeah. purposes. And uh, yeah, one thing which I like about ESS teaching as an ESS teacher is like, it actually connects with the real life, okay? Something which I'm teaching them, they can actually look themselves into that. They can keep them in that situation and see like, yes, we are actually doing this. We are creating problem to the world there, okay? We are causing air pollution. We are causing the soil pollution there. But when we are doing this, we don't realize it, right? So we are doing it. So that is how they actually, the students try to connect with it. And actually I've seen from these few years of my experience, which I have, I've seen students who are still implementing whatever they learned in ESS after they completed their IB, still they're trying to practice, do some, you know, awareness programs on ESS, trying to connect with the world in terms of these aspects. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a good plug for the ESS. Now we've, we're selling people on the ESS, but let's talk a little bit about, uh, Biology too, because um, maybe just in the case of such of courses where they're really focused just in the sciences specifically, there's still interconnectivity to other disciplines. But maybe talk about the kind of uh, level of instruction that uh, that is part of a typical uh, science class like biology. And and you offer the high level HL as well as SL there, or which one do you teach? Yeah, we offer HL and SL. Like okay. we have students who are doing HL and SL. So if you want to look into the framework of IB biology there, so it is like HL and SL. Again, HL is for 240 hours and SL is for 150 hours. Mm-hmm. So in that you have the practical hours also, like 60 hours for the HL and 40 hours for the SL, mm-hmm. where you have the IA time involved in that. Okay. And you have the core and the additional higher levels, which is for uh, uh, when you look at the core, it is for 95 hours in SL and HL there. 
and for the extended and the additional higher levels you are going to have 60 hours for the so it is just the extensions what they have studied as an ssl student like they are going to go a little bit more deeper into the subjects actually when they try to take hl a little bit more into the details of that what they have covered in the ssl yeah yeah if you look into like you know the connectivity with the subjects you can have little bit uh, connections with the chemistry from the molecular biology like when you're learning about molecular biology like about the biomolecules and carbohydrates you can have some connections with the chemistry there yeah yeah so so let me just back up a little bit for the listeners who may not as be, be as familiar with some of these um, things when you say the hl is 240 hours that's typical of of high level courses in ib those definitely have to be full two year courses um, the 150 for the SL, they still encourage you to run it over two years, but I know here in the Minnesota and across the United States, some schools do get by with running those in just one year for the exam. Um, do you run yours as two years for both of them, or do you do that? Uh, no, we run two? it as a two years program. We, mm-hmm. we run it as a two years program, but I do try to complete uh, a bit of it, you know, mostly most of it as the SL course in the year one and try to have more emphasis on the IA and other aspects of the IB, you know, like, you know, uh, giving them a past paper questions and trying to revise so they get much time and better understanding of the subject. Because ESS is something which I feel like bio is like you can understand what's the question and what is the question demanding. But when it comes to ESS, the students have to look at it from different perspectives. Mm-hmm. And they are trying to answer the ESS question. So more practice in answering the questions is very important for them. So time has to be spent more on, you know, making the students understand the questions. Yeah. 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 And it's a very humane, it's more humane to take that SL in two years. I know as a person who taught uh, diploma program physics in one year, uh, it was a struggle, you know, to try to um, to get the uh, the content uh, included in in the time that we had, and, and the fact that uh, exams are given in May, you know, and our school went till June, um, we really missed out on on a chunk of uh, time uh, that we would have been better served if we'd gone longer. I know we we taught our SL chemistry in two years, but our our SL physics we kind of needed to do it in one. So. Uh, uh... I would like to add here, it depends upon the student's level of understanding, because when it comes to ESS, especially, I get students who have not done anything in environmental sciences, because they have never done sciences, right? They are most from the humanities background, right? Mm -hmm. So in order for them to make them understand what is ESS and what are they going to learn? So in ESS, you have most of the systems approach, like inputs, outputs, and transformations and transfers. So it do take some time for the students to understand that subject, okay? It's it's a little bit, you know... uh, uh, more uh, more emphasis should be kept on their understanding because then only they are able to answer the questions. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Yes. So you've uh, you you've got a in your resume. I'm looking and and you have taught um, in different programs. You've taught in the in the IG uh, CSE and some others that are not just IB. Um, when you think about how you approach science teaching uh, as an IB instructor, what are some of the key things that are important to you? So when I do as a science teacher in IB curriculum there, as in when you have the approaches, like I look into the approaches of teaching where IB focuses on differentiation, inclusivity, 
right? So having when it comes to teaching in your context, even in this online world, it's very important for us to show differentiation in the classrooms in terms of assessments, in terms of our teaching strategies and inquiry-based learning. So that is one and the concept-based learning. Because I said like, until the students don't keep themselves in that scenario, they are not able to connect to that unit. So as a science teacher, and we believe more in experiential learning rather than you know making the students sit and we keep them, give them the information. Either it's ESS or bio, we look into more of experiential learning. And this has taken us a toll in this, you know, uh, pandemic situation. In India, like mostly we have been online from March, 2020. And still now we are working online. In between, we got an opportunity to open the school school for some time. Again, we are back on online learning. So that is how we are looking into some simulations, some activities, so that the students at least understand the principle hidden behind them. And we are asking the students to uh, use the resources which are available at their places so they can actually perform the experiment, the ones which are basically available, which they can do. And we are trying to get that experiential approach online also so that the students can get better of their learning, whatever they are trying to learn. So when you look into the IB approaches of teaching as a bio and science teacher, so teaching science is a little bit different compared to mathematics teaching. So when we are teaching science or when we are doing some collaborative activities, it's very important we look into the group dynamics, like uh, who works well with who, who can handle the situation and who needs time to work by themselves. So these are some questions which come into my mind when I try to look into the group formations for the activities. And again, the other challenge is the content. So it's very important like to look into which method applies to teach this particular content, because the same method cannot be used for all the information which is available. So that is something which is very important as a bio and ESS teacher for me to look into. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the things I learned as a, as a, you know, having been a science teacher for a long time before I started teaching in the IB program, um, you know, I was really impressed by the emphasis on you know, authentic laboratory experiences. Um, I know that in the SL and the HL both, um, there's a, you know, you need a significant lab experience and let's, you know, let, let's just put aside the COVID time for a moment and think about the time when we were in person. Um, what were some of the things that you uh, did in terms of laboratory experiences for students? So if you look into the bio, there are actually some mandatory eight experiments which have to be done. It's mandatory. Like you can do the other experiments as and when, according to the unit you are trying to do, but eight mandatory experiments is which you're going to learn. So one thing which I actually enjoy doing with my students is about the ecology where we do about the uh, quadrant sampling when we go out in the field and we try to measure, you know, the biodiversity in that area. And even the simple experiment when it comes to using potato and doing osmosis, the process mm-hmm. of diffusion. Yeah. So these are uh, some things which we co- commonly do with our students. And again, the, f- the, the part which students love the most is to use the microscopes because they feel actually they are the research persons when they start using the microscope. Mm-hmm. So we look into the mitosis, okay? The mitosis, the cell division, the which phase of mitosis and cell division and all that. So these are the some of, and again, when we work with the, reaction rate and reactivity in mm-hmm. terms of human physiology when we look into the reaction time and all that and some enzyme factors the factors which affect the enzyme rate by using a mylase extract from the potatoes okay yeah. so these are some experiments we actually were doing when we were face to face yeah now the internal assessment which is also a required you know portion of the uh, evaluation the exam uh, for diploma students uh, those are those are based on a lab uh, you know 
performing a lab and doing an, a lab analysis and write up. Um, have, have, were there some typical ones you did that you went, you know, you go to for the internal assessments, some labs that were your main ones? Uh, it's like when we, these are some of the mandatory labs, which actually students get an idea about their investigation, right? So if you are teaching them these activities, they're going to do some tweaking or they're going to learn some uh, activities which they have learned or some, you know, skills when they actually perform this experiment and then they do their actual IEs, the individual investigations or the internal assessments. So definitely I don't encourage them to do an internal assessment, which is actually done as a lab. So I don't look in from that point of view, because I think it should be something which is their own research, their own investigation. Mm -hmm. So that is the main part where IB focuses, right? It should be the student's work rather than, and we are just a facilitator there, not even an educator there. We are just facilitating that to happen by helping them to gain some skills. So uh, that is what I feel like the students, the investigation should be their own investigation rather than taking something which has already been done. Yeah. Gotcha. But I'm not expecting there should be a novelty there. There should be something which is, again, uh, a different research or investigation which has never been done. Because I look into their age group, right? They are just, you know, 15, 16 years old. Right. And we don't expect them to work like an actual scientist. They're in the real world. Yeah. So it's, but anyway, the idea, the research question, whatever they're framing or the investigation, the plotting has to be their own work there. Yeah. Got yes. it. Yeah. Yeah. Now that reminds me that it is something the student uh, designs on their own. I, for physics, I typically, you know, I gave them some choices, but the most common thing they chose was some aspect of a pendulum. Um, and so then they developed their own set of experiments based on, you know, some, some, uh, uh, you know, variable that changed like length or weight or, um, you know, amplitude, whatever it was. So yeah, those, those things are certainly within, yeah, and it's a good point to say, you're not expecting them to create, you know, new knowledge that, uh, that isn't you know, been done before in biology, but it is a unique experiment that they haven't done with you. So how did that change with, um, COVID? What, uh, what have you been able to do and relate to, uh, experimentation there? It has been a challenging question for most of the educators right now in the world. So we just looked into secondary data investigation. So trying to do a lot on surveys, analysis. Like we can't take the students on field trips, especially when it comes to ESS field trips are meant to, for you know collecting data uh, based on their for internal investigations and uh, internal assessments. Sorry. So that is what it is usually done for. But we can't take them to field trips nowadays. So we do virtual field trips, but you know the actual field trips are more effective than the uh, virtual ones where they get the sense of touching, feeling and understanding the things in a better way. So we have been uh, doing more on uh, a secondary database digest, looking into more into the websites, which give us more authentic information and data based on this and doing more on the survey analysis, trying to uh, correlate between the variables. So this is how we are trying to uh, do on the in internal assessments in this pandemic. Yeah. Yeah, everyone globally has is, is been making a lot of adjustments, and uh, I'm always interested to hear what people have done. And in the sciences, I always you know, wondered with the lack of uh, in-person, how they could do experiments. Obviously, there's things you can do at home, but it's you know, limited, you know, certainly. Um, so you have a note here that uh, are there some changes that have been going on for, to IB science in terms of assessment or any amendments? I, I see a note yeah, here about so, that. Yeah, yes, it has been a note for May 21. Mm -hmm. and May 22 also. And recently, IB has released for May 23 also, like a few days ago. It has been sent to the coordinators. So first, let me get uh, focus on the 21 and 22 thing. Sure. Like in May 21, they had done some amendments, but uh, for ESS, there were no amendments. 
it was the same course, the same paper pattern, and the percentage, the weightage of the each paper and the IE was the same. So there were no changes for the ESS. Okay. Still did. Um, but in biology, definitely, because when you look into the biology framework, you have to you have a paper three, which is based on option. So mm-hmm. you have four options. Out of four options, the student can choose any one option, which would be their option subject in sciences, mm-hmm. because as you said, you have uh, thought DP physics and you might be knowing there are options there. Yep, yep. So for biology, also you have options as neurobiology, ecology, biotechnology, and uh uh, human physiology. So mm-hmm. out of these four options, the student can choose one of it. And that is totally based on the paper three there. So uh, because of the pandemic, the IB has given leverages or you know, amendments to remove the paper three for 21 and 22. Yeah. The students who are sitting for the assessments in 21 and 22, 2021 and 22, the paper three has been amended for them. Yeah. Okay. So you, by amended, you mean it's just not, they don't have to Under do that the, one? They don't uh, have to do that. Paper. Okay. Yeah. All right. So when you chose the options, um, I know with physics, I would, I would uh, usually, I think we had time to do two of the, I think there were eight options back when I was teaching it. Um, I chose two and then the students needed to write on those. Do you choose the option for the students or do the students kind of picking from their own interests? So actually, before we go for the options, we try to give them the understanding of the options. How are they going to help them actually on the university level? Mm -hmm. And then they get the opportunity to to choose the options. But it is like, again, uh, from the scoring point of view, like which they are good in. Okay, so something which is very good for them. So based on the understandings between the students and between the teacher, we try to go with an option paper and we try to fit it because it is not convenient for the teachers to teach all the four options in the green academic year. Right. So it depends upon the student who are maximum going for that particular option or willing choosing that option or uh, the advantages of choosing that option. So these are all discussed with the students. And based on that, we try to come up with a conclusion of going with one particular option. Option, Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know one of the things that we, you know, when I, I used to uh, invigilate, as they say, or proctor exams, uh, it was always encouraged to the students would do the option your teacher led you to. In other words, don't go, oh, I really like you know, human physiology, even though we never studied it, don't go in, don't do it because uh, the terminology, the, the practical information that they have and the way in which they speak about it comes from the way IB does things. And so uh, definitely you want to follow that path that your teacher led you down. Otherwise, so um, yeah. I would like to add something here. So if you look at the four options and actually, actually look at the syllabus of the biology there, the normal, the curriculum syllabus, so you can see the topics are almost there. Like if you have human physiology, it is there as a as a topic in right. the bio curriculum there. And you can have neurobiology uh, to some extent in the bio. And ecology is also there as a unit there. And you have some part of biotechnology also. So you can see that the students are already learning these topics there. Okay. So depending on that, they can understand like which option would be better for me or which option is not comfortable with me. So definitely because we are going to do the option once we've done our portion there, once we finished our, you know, uh, the curriculum, the bio portion, then we are going to go with the option. So definitely they'll get a knowledge and understanding like which is better to go for. Yeah. So do you do you end up then as a teacher teaching a different option some years based on student interest? When I was uh, teaching the options with them, when I was looking into neurobiology or uh, uh, something related to ecology or human physiology or biotechnology, these I have been doing when I was as a student in my school years and in my graduation, right? 
So it would be something which I can actually help them understand, like whether because I can understand from their uh, scores and from their assessment, like how difficult this, sub- uh, this option would be for them or it's easy. Then we can have a chat with the students, a discussion with them, and then we can come to an understanding. That's what I have already always done. You know, mm-hmm. I never tried to say that, no, we are going to do human physiology. So everyone is going to do human physiology. Uh, never. That, that kind of tone was not there in my classes, to be very honest. Yeah. Well, I, I trust that you were like that. I, I know myself, sometimes I might be kind of putting my thumb on the on the scale, you know, to think because it's one I like to teach or whatever, or maybe the students are more successful when they do that option. But I, I totally, you know, I appreciate the fact that you're, you know, following the student's lead on that. That's, that's good to hear. Um, so let's talk a little bit about um, kind of the generally way you're teaching these days with, you know, keeping kids engaged in the, in the time of COVID, you talked about the difference in labs, but, you know, in general, um, you've been doing COVID, as you said, since uh, with a, a short time break uh, since 20, early 2020. Uh, I know the surge that happened in, in India this summer was devastating. And I know you had to go back to online for a while, uh, but tell me about what you've been doing the last 18 months or so to uh, to keep kids engaged and and uh, do the best you can with teaching a, a, an intensive course. Yeah. So uh, the first thing we we shifted our teaching strategies. Okay, the ones which we were doing in face to face, we understood that they are not going to be 100 percent efficient when it comes to online learning, right? So we tried to use more of technology in our classrooms. You know, trying to come mm-hmm. up with some apps where the where the learning would be more like you know fun. Like Mm -hmm. it has become a gaming rather than learning there. You know, students love to play games. So we started using some of these apps and uh, some of these apps, which I learned, uh, which I use in my classroom is basically the Flipgrid and the Padlet. The Flipgrid is something where the students get an opportunity to record their audio and video. And uh, so that was something which I like to use. And I like to give them most of the reflections about what they have learned. So, you know, it's always wonderful to see them, like, you know, how they are feeling after the lesson has been done. And usually when we had a face-to-face session, I used to have one side of my classroom, one wall uh, allocated for reflection. Okay. I call it as a reflection wall. Mm -hmm. So where I try, I ask the students to take a small piece of sticky note and try to write to you know two, three points of reflection after each session. And they go and stick on the wall there. Okay. So we do a gallery walk there and the students reach each, read each other's reflection and they feel like, yeah, I have a similar understanding as the other student in my classroom. Yeah. This part is something which I felt was difficult and he's also feeling it. So I'm nowhere wrong. So that now I made the padlet my reflection wall. You know, mm-hmm. the padlet has become my reflection wall in this learning. And even with the Jamboard, we do a lot of activities in the Google Jamboard because Padlet is paid to some extent. So we use Google Jamboard. And again, uh, the strategies which I used is more of flipped learning. So flipped learning was something which I used like where I, because of the time and, you know, uh, about the exposure towards the screen and all these things like, you know, flipped learning is something which we make up. We try to send some videos, some content to the students before the lesson. So I don't call it as a home assignment. I call it as a pre-class activity. So I'm not teaching them something. I'm facilitating their understandings. I'm facilitating what they understood, right? And uh, from this point, it's very uh, inevitable that the students have done it, have understood something from that point. And it also, you know, targets the critical thinking and the higher order skills of the Bloom's taxonomy, where students learn to analyze the situations through videos and all that. Mm -hmm. So if you see, there is this uh, app called as Edpuzzle. 
So you can actually curate the video. If the video is like one, one hour long and you feel like, you know, the middle 30 minutes are important. So you can, inf- you can curate it in that app and the students are able to see only that part of the video. Okay. So it is very easy. So it is helpful for the teachers to do that. Yeah. What's the name of that app again? Edpuzzle. E-D-P-U-Z-Z-L-E. Okay. Edpuzzle. Okay. Yeah. I have to look that one up. The other ones, it was interesting as you, you know, rattled off Padlet and, and Flipgrid and, and Jamboard. It's just, it's, it's so cool to me that that's, those are all globally well-known. It's, you know, I don't Flipgrid was literally headquarters is one mile that way. I'm pointing out the window. It, I can see almost see Flipgrid's headquarters from where I sit because it was, it was created by a professor here in Minnesota uh, just to help his own class. And then it's grown to this, very well-used international platform that has been purchased by Microsoft. Yeah. And something we just clicked into my mind when you uh, said about the student engagement, we have been using visible thinking routines, you know, from the Mm -hmm. hard work there. So they have been quite useful for all the subjects and in many ways like visible. So now right now we are looking into the global thinking routines in order to develop the global competence in the students, you know. So one of the strategy which I like most about one of the global thinking routine is the three whys, which I use mostly in my ESS lessons. So it, this activity has three prompts. The first prompt is like, why might this topic matter to you? Mm-hmm. Uh, why might it matter to the people around you? Or why might it matter to the world? So if I say sustainability as a topic, yeah. and when I'm teaching sustainability, so definitely I'll ask the question to the students, why is sustainability important to you, to the people around you or to the world? So that is how they're trying to connect, you know, locally and globally, the scenario when it comes to ESS. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that is how they are doing the concept-based learning there. So yeah. that is how, yeah. Well, and it's, again, it goes back to what I just said a moment ago about the universality to some of these things, the uh, the global thinking routines, the Harvard Project Zero, Ron Richard, who is one of the key players there, he's spoken uh, to us here in Minnesota directly. He came here and, and talked to our IB people. Uh, these these routines, these ways of, of teaching and learning, uh, you know, it's because IB is universally uh, a, a funnel for best practice. It really gathers these uh, best ways of teaching and learning. And and um, whether you're in India or here in Minnesota or in Spain or England or or uh, in Ghana, you are you are teaching and learning in these same ways. And um, it's really it's it's a, it's heartening to hear how this how universal this is. And I'm, and our listeners are in a unique experience to catch this because we're speaking to people from everywhere in the IB world. And we're hearing often some themes that are repeated. So thanks for making those connections for us. Uh, Let me just uh, change it up a little bit here. One of the things you and I talked about in advance of our conversation today was the idea that uh, you've also taught in the middle years program. And you and I have both had some experiences when schools that have the diploma program and either have or don't have the middle years program, uh, you know, they connect and, and the, the matriculation of students between the programs is, is important. You want to talk a little bit about how MYP sets students up for success in science? Uh, so if you actually look into the MYP subject aims and the DP subject aims. So if you look mm-hmm. at the subject aims for MYP, it speaks about cultivating analytical, you know, uh, analytical inquiring and flexible minds. Whereas DPM speaks about developing the analytical, uh, flexible mindset and uh, explanation and synthesis. So the journey from cultivation to development is what I feel is from MYP to DP. So MYP is something which is doing fostering of those skills, which are going to help them in the DP. 
Okay, so if you look into the assessment model of the DP or the uh, the objectives of the course, so you can see they are actually somewhere hidden in the MYP objectives or present there in the MYP aims, where we are trying to foster these skills in the students, and that is how the approaches to learning plays a role. Yeah. So as a school, when we look, we try to do the backward planning. So from the DP point of view, we try to look into the subject specific skills the students want, the students need to have when it comes. To IA, right? They need to develop the research skills. They need to develop the self-management skills. So they should have good writing skills, like the communication skills. So as a subject, when we look into it, we try to, of the 142 skill indicators we have in MYP, we try to take few skills, like, you know, few number of skills, which are, you know, actually looking into the subjects uh, from the DP point of view. And as a skill, we try to progress the student in those skills from MYP 1 to 5. Right. So we try to develop those skills, you know, when he's in MYP 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, we try to take that as a progression. And those skills are going to help them when they actually do the DP uh, program. So that is how we try to do backward planning. So which actually helps us to connect the DP and the MYP together. Yeah. yeah. Yep. That's, that's very, very well said. I, you know, one of the things when you and I talked about this in advance, when we were preparing for today was the idea that, you know, sometimes the diploma program is looked at as being, you know, standalone and very difficult and very intense. And so uh, someone who's not really familiar with MYP will say, well, what I need to do is I need to make ninth and 10th grade really hard so I can weed out those kids that can't handle the diploma program. And it's really just the reverse. You look at a growth mindset of kids, like I said, it takes five years if you're in a full MYP, starting in sixth grade and you slowly build these skill sets. And now you can bring along every kid. You don't have to say, okay, chop it off and say, you didn't do well in ninth grade or 10th grade with this program. And so you can't go to the diploma program. But instead, the middle years really builds up the skill set. It's much more open to any student who's maybe starting from a different place. And by looking at the approaches to learning, the common skill sets that you talked about, um, it's really the way to go. So if you are in a DP program or DP school and you're looking at, you know, working backwards, as you said, and planning backwards, what is it you need from students entering 11th grade and the diploma? You need a kid who's been in the MYP because they really um, can 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 uh, thrive because they've grown those skills. So I just want to add here because Previously, I have been in a school where it is an IP continuum school where we have the PYP, MYP and the DP. So we were trying to do the backward planning. So it helps us to look into like where is the skill, uh, where is the student in terms of progression of the skills. But right now, presently, the school that I'm working with, they don't have the MYP, they have the IGCSE. Mm-hmm. So what we are trying to we are trying to look into the skill development, even in the IGCSE. Mm -hmm. So that we have some students who go for DP once they do the IGCSE. So even they should be benefited. So even our school goes for a bridge program the first few uh, the first few days before they start the DP one where they actually focus on these skills. We try to make the students understand what are these skills, why are they. So we try to do it as a program which helps the students to understand how important these ATL skills are there. Uh, when you're going for a DP curriculum. So we are trying to progress into, because I think ATLs is something which can be mapped with any curriculum. It's not only specific to MYP or DP right. there. Right. Yeah, that is. Yeah, no, that's a good point. That you know, the IB does not have uh, a, a trademark on on skill set and skill building and so on. And especially if you're you know aware of of what you need in the in the high school, you can work backwards uh, to the students. You know, I was going to mention here that in fact I attended 
uh, one of the kinds of training that IB has, they have category one and two and category three. And category three is generally some kind of more comprehensive. It's not specific to a subject. And I, and I went to a category three training and happened to be backwards planning from the DP to the MYP in, in history, but because I was with someone who is a history uh, teacher and I just wanted to go along as a coordinator and, and they have those for other subjects. And so it gives you kind of a roadmap for how to do what you were just talking about. How do you work backwards, look at backwards design. And, you know, one of the things we did, which was really interesting to me, and it was in history, but they looked at paper one in history and and then worked backwards all the way through year one of the MYP to say, okay, what skill set will help them be successful when they are in 12th grade taking this paper one in history? And you can do the same thing in the sciences. Yes, yeah. definitely. That is how we plan. Because if you see, there is a unit called cells in DP. So mm -hmm. there is, uh, when we do the backward planning, we see to that the student understand what is a cell or define what is uh, define what is uh, define a cell. You know, or what are the organelles present in the cell in MYP one there in grade six. So when the student goes to grade two and grade three, they understand what are the functions of it and how are they connected to each other? How are they in connection with each other? And by the time we reach them to MYP three, they learn about the organ systems. The organs are made up out of the cells. And when they actually go to the DP, they learn about stem cells and how these cells can be manipulated, you know, by using the technology. Right. So that is how the progression is done from backward to from DP to MIP there, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And so you know, we talk, we've been talking with a few guests lately about the growth mindset and the idea that, you know, you as the teacher are going to help every kid to be successful. You're not there as a gatekeeper. You're there as kind of a, a, a person who, you know, lifts them up so that they can, they can reach the level they need to do. So one of the other things about IB is, is the fact that it, it uh, you know, connects, as you've mentioned a few times, it connects out from the course to other things. And, uh, even in the diploma program, there's, you know, there's a core pro of the program that includes the extended essay. You've mentioned that before. Um, you have to connect to the theory of knowledge as part of your course and also CAS, uh, creativity, activity, and service. What are some of the ways that you integrate those connections in your science class, specifically, say, biology or ESS? So if you look into my ESS lessons, okay, when we try to do some service or action or creativity in my science classrooms, we try to look into more like creating awareness. We try to students to create some awareness pam pamphlets, whatever they have learned, and they can mentor them to the PYP students or the middle school students, what they have learned. Mm -hmm. So the students are aware about that. So based on this, our school is working on an uh, initiative right now. We call it as the EISB TED Ed Talks. Okay, mm -hmm. it is a program, uh, you know, which is taken by the students, and this is mostly on the topic of SDGs, the 17 SDGs. So every month, the school is going to release one SDG, and we are going to have sessions where the students, the DP students, are acting like mentors to guide the lower grade and uh, you know the middle school and the primary school students you know they focus and the best part here is that they're actually doing it is like a real scenario like you have an organization how how does the organization promote that sustainable goal so the students they themselves created you know some acting roles like you are going to be a community manager communication manager you are going to be a content we are going to we are working on a website also where we are trying to look into the uh, reflections from what we got from the students, the videos, what we have done, the activities we have done during this period based on every SDG. And we have been doing the panel discussions, like how every country is looking at that SDG. 
So every student is assigned as an ambassador of that particular country and where he'll be discussing about it. And we have the people and uh, they're mentoring the lower grade students about that SDG, why it is important and what are the solutions you can have in order to have this SDG, right? Mm -hmm. And how each country is looking into that. And uh, they have, uh, I told you as they have assigned some roles you know, like, you know, so there would be a website creator and these and all, and they're quite enthusiastic about this. So I can see creativity, action and service in this, yeah. in this project, like, you know, they're creating the flyers, they're creating the posters. So they have taken it, you know, quite close to that because they feel this is something which we have to inform the world, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And just, um, I would guess most of our listeners are familiar with an SDG, but it's uh, sustainable development goals from the United Nations. And, and, uh, again, I, I did a podcast about this specifically, um, uh, a few months ago. And also if anyone was listening, they could just Google, uh, uh, sustainable development goals and you'll see and it's a great website and it has lots of built in activities that you can do with all ages. It's really popular in the PYP. Also, a lot of students do their exhibition, uh, program in, in the PYP based on sustainable development goals. So clearly it's a good fit for you and ESS as well. Um, and of course, biology. So yeah, good, good ideas there. I thank you for sharing those. Um, so we've been talking about science in general and how IB approaches uh, teaching science and some great examples of this. Is there anything kind of to kind of uh, wrap that up for you or, you know, anything that you want to share with people about kind of in general, uh, what you like about the way science is approached uh, in an IB context? So I really like about the thing when you look into sciences about the IB diploma sciences, uh, the one aspect which I like it is about the nature of science. So something which we have not looked into the nature of science. So I think it's very important, like as when you enter the world of art and culture, so you feel like I have to be connected with art and culture. The same way when you enter into the field of science, you know, you should feel like you should understand and talk like science. Okay. Just like how you understand emotionally connect with art and culture. The same way you have to connect with uh, uh, science in a similar manner. So there are many tenets of, uh, you know, nature of science, but to comprehend, there are two things which actually, uh, you know, shows a, a quite distinction when you look into uh, the nature of science. The two things are like uh, how to distinguish between observation and inferences. Mm -hmm. And the second thing is how to connect relationships between or how to develop relationships between scientific theories and data. Mm -hmm. So if you actually look into that, we say in MYP, we don't have nature of science. But if you look into the criterion strands, these criterion strands actually foster these aspects of nature of science. Right. So you can actually clearly see how MYP is leading to DP there. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that's a really good point. The fact that uh, it's the nature of science. You're actually immersed in the nature of science and what science is about. And that's so true about even the other subjects you mentioned, arts and culture. But um, it's also something you know. How does a historian approach history and and investigate uh, what actually happened or, or who it happened to and so on? And that happens in in other aspects. You know, you really want to be immersed in in the way of thinking in terms of literature, art the sciences, mathematics. Um, even when you look at the evaluation of exams, one of the things examiners are asked to look at is the language used by the student. And, you know, even if they're not answering the question exactly kind of where you were thinking they should go, read the words and listen to their voice in those words. And are they thinking and talking like a scientist that actually enters into the exam analysis? Well, thank you know, thank you so much, uh, Bavia, for your your time today. Is there anything, any final words or final thoughts for folks uh, before we sign off here today? 
Uh, I'd just like to thank you, John, for giving me this opportunity to uh, and uh, to speak about what I understand and what I have learned about sciences from this, uh, from my experience. And I would definitely uh, uh, give say the statements to the folks there uh, that yeah, a pandemic has made uh, life a little bit difficult, but at the same time, it has given us a new opportunities to explore as teachers. And we uh, and I definitely want to know when we get back to school, when we do face to face tomorrow, we should actually definitely implement what we have learned that during this period of time so we should try to develop these strategies in our face-to-face learning also yeah thank you so much yeah thank you appreciate it be sure to check out those links for science teachers in the podcast notes and to connect with bavia if you'd like to follow up on our discussion now that we have over 80 ib matters episodes covering a range of subjects you can use our podcast webpage, which is organized by program and by topic The link to the website is in our podcast notes. We've also added a dedicated Facebook page for the podcast called Ivy Matters Podcast. Besides linking to our recent episodes, it will also have additional features highlighting our guests and further links from our podcast. We encourage you to like and follow our Facebook page and make suggestions for future programs or questions you would like us to ask our upcoming guests. Please find all of our episodes wherever you get your podcasts and click subscribe so you don't miss any future programs. Join our over 2,800 followers on Twitter at MattersIB. Also help us spread the word about IB by liking, sharing, and reviewing the IB Matters links in your own feeds and social networks. In just over two years, we've been heard in over 150 countries, a testament to the global reach of the IB.